I mean, deep down inside, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I mean, like, I'll give you a good example. Last week, I was in this bar, and, like, four chicks started hitting on me all at once. And I said, girls, we got a problem here. I'm an old-fashioned guy. One of you girls is going to have to leave. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to learn more about it because you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. I hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every two weeks. This is going to take several years, as you can imagine. So please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, Well, let's let's get get started. Hello and welcome to Moonlighting the Podcast. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 5, and it's called The Next Murder You Hear. It was directed by Peter Werner, written by Peter Silverman, and it first aired on the 19th of March, 1985. The episode synopsis, Paul McCain reigns over late-night AM talk radio, KRKD 1040. During the 2 to 6 a.m. time slot, Listeners could call the Heartbreak Hotline at 555-HEART to pour out their fears, hopes and dreams. One night, in the midst of a live broadcast, violent sounds of gunfire burst out across the air, stopping the voice of Paul McCain in mid-sentence. The resulting investigation receives attention and front-page headlines. David immediately sees dollar signs and that it's great publicity for the agency. But all Maddie sees is they have no client and she turns up her nose at the idea of lonely people calling a stranger on the radio. Maddie and David end up investigating the on-air shooting of the radio talk show host, but Maddie is unsure whether to take it any further when she learns that the host was having an affair with a married woman. The host soon turns up alive, having faked his own death to keep the affair from his boss, but is then accused of the murder of his lover's husband, who was also his boss. Both the host and the mistress hire Blue Moon to prove their innocence, and Maddie and David disagree over who they believe actually did it. (laughs) This episode was written by Peter Silverman. He actually has 14 writer credits. He mainly did TV and TV movies. He was nominated for two primetime Emmys, one in 2004 for Something the Lord Made and one in 1984 for Hill Street Blues. He's mainly known for his Hill Street Blues work as a story editor and he has one written by credit and he only did one episode of Moonlighting. So the last thing I saw for him was back in 2006, which has touched the top of the world. I'll quickly go through our guest stars. First of all, we've got Greg Henry. 
he has 178 actor credits. His career goes back to 1976. Uh, he started with Rich Man, Poor Man, book two. So this is where we cross over again. <laughs> he was in The Love Boat. Uh, he was in Scarface, but he was unaccredited. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he was in Simon and Simon. In 1984, he was in Remington Steel. 1985, Moonlighting. 1987, Magnum PI. 88, Falcon Crest. Cagney and Lacey. He's done many other things, which I won't go through. I'm just putting in, I'm just putting in the main ones. And he was also in the Heat of the Night. Oh, okay. He was in LA Law, Matlock. Uh, he did an episode of Jag. And this is where I also recognize him from is Murder She Wrote. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he played several characters in it. You know, he came back here and there. He played the sheriff, Mark Reisner, and Lars Anderson. So that was between 1985 and 1996 because Murder, She Wrote went for 12 years. CSI crime scene investigation in 2001, and he was in Boston Public in 2001, 2002. Gilmore Girls, ER, Grey's Anatomy, Medium in 2010. Okay. Yes, that it makes always sense. guarantees somebody's in Medium. Yeah. Um, they were moonlighting. They were probably in Medium. Yeah. And most recently, what I recognise him from is CSI Miami because, you know, I'm a CSI Miami fan and he played a little bit of a nasty rich man in 2006. He played William Preston. In 2010, he played Roger Kavanagh. And even more recent than that, he was in NCIS Los Angeles in 2012. Absolute most recent is um, he was in Law & Order, Organised Crime TV series, that new one that's out. Oh, okay. So he's still working. He is absolutely still working. Yes. Long career. Yes. He's been around for, he's actually a recognizable face. He's one of those actors. I think that, you know, his face, but you don't necessarily know his name. Yeah. You know what I mean? sure. Okay. James Sloyan played Sonny. He was born in 1940 in Indianapolis. So a little bit of a mini bio about him. His family moved to Europe when he was a young boy, living in Rome, Capri, Milan, Switzerland, and Ireland. Okay. How's, how's that for a childhood? I know. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. When he was 17, his family moved back to the United States and settled in upstate New York, where he managed a theatre. He received a scholarship to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and after two years, he went to work for Joseph Papp at the New York Shakespeare Festival. In 1962, he was drafted into the United States Army. After four years, he returned to the NYSF and performed in 28 plays and choreographed all the onstage fights. He also appeared in the original off-Broadway stage version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I've got a little bit of interesting trivia on James Sloyan. He was actually the voice of Lexus from 1989 until 2009, having been replaced by actor James Remar. Yeah, and Sloyan has been hired to do voiceover work for Mitsubishi. And you can understand why. He's got a bit of a distinctive husky, slightly husky voice. Yes. I thought he was very believable as a radio guy. He really looked like a station manager, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really did. He really did. Yeah. yeah. So just briefly on James Sloyan, he was in Wonder Woman in 79. He was in the streets of San Francisco, 74, Hawaii 5 Kojak. Buck Rogers, which David mentions Buck Rogers in an episode. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, Sam and Dave. Yeah, butt out Buck Rogers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
the barrage in the garage. <laughs> the barrage in the garage. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I know, That's I know, so go good. On, go on. <laughs> so good. Xanadu with Olivia John. Yeah. I loved her. Yeah. Of course. She's Australian. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Lou Grant. Yeah, he was in Chips, Falcon Crest, Knott's Landing, Cagney and Lacey, Moonlighting, Simon and Simon, The Love Boat. Are you seeing a theme here? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, everybody made the rounds. It was almost like you had a card to check, you know. Yep, Moonlighting tick, um, Love Boat tick, Murder, She Wrote tick. Yeah, Hawaii Five-0 and so on. Yeah, that's That's pretty funny. so funny. Um, who's the boss? Mission Impossible, the TV series. Matt Locke, Jake and the Fat Man, Murder She Wrote, Beverly Hills, 90210, Baywatch, Star Trek, The X Files, NYPD Blue, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. That hasn't come up lately. No, no. Diagnosis Murder and Chicago Hope. So that's our character, Sunny Bresner, Barbara Stock, who plays Laura Boyd. She has. 37 actor credits. She was born in May 1956 in Downers Grove, Illinois. Uh, Looks like her career begins in 81 on Chips. TJ Hooker. She was also in between 80 and 83. She was in Fantasy Island. They're playing. They're playing. Yeah, I liked that show too. Yeah. I know there's a new um, version of it, but uh, I tried a couple episodes. I didn't get into it. You can't beat the original, can you? Nope. I always love Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, Remington Steel, The A-Team, an episode of Moonlighting, a two-part episode of Murder, She Wrote. She played Daniela Carmody. That could be why she's familiar to me. I'm not sure. She was in Spencer for Hire, the Twilight Zone TV series, In the Heat of the Night, MacGyver, and between 81 and 91, she was in Dallas. She played Liz Adams, and she also played Heather Wilson. And she's in an episode of Seinfeld in 1992 called Scam Woman, the one that scams him. And the most recent was 2001, The Princess and the Marine, which was a TV movie. Um, But that's Barbara Stock. So a little bit of trivia on Barbara Stock. Um, She left acting in 2001 and began a successful interior design business, Barbara Stock Interior Design, which serves Los Angeles and the San Fernando Valley area. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, so change of careers for her. Yeah. Let's start talking about the episode, Shauna. Would you like to begin? Yes, I would. All right, Grace, let's get started on this um, great Moonlighting episode. The next murder you hear. Fair warning, Grace, um, this may be a three-part episode because I had two pages of notes in the first five minutes. (laughs) It's funny, you know, so did I. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much here to talk about. So podcast listeners, um, sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy this possibly longer episode. We'll We'll see how we go. This is a great beginning, I'd say. I really, this is one of my favorite uh, Moonlighting opening scenes as far as setting up the storyline or the mystery, the case. I love the story of the Seven Hearts. Great story. I've written here, where did Glenn come up with this story? Yeah. Yeah. Hilda with her Seven Hearts. Mm. You know, even though you couldn't see the hearts from the outside, she thought nobody would love her. So she married a friend of her father's. That sounds, that sounds a little creepy. Mm. A much older man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess uh, he would be accepting of her differences or, uh, you know, aware of it and not have a problem. 
And uh, but then she's in in the uh, in a room with a stranger, and they hear fourteen hearts. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the story, but I'm disappointed how it ends. He ends the story and then puts his headphones on and just I'm like, wait a minute, continue the story. What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess it's up to us to decide what happened from there, but. Um, yeah, I don't know, something about it has seven hearts, so she could love, she had extra love to give, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, and uh, I guess another um, way of looking at it is there's um, someone for everybody. That's right, yeah. And then she probably felt normal once she met somebody that also had seven hearts. So there's a little yeah. bit of moral of the story. Right, yeah, exactly. So then, yeah, heartbreak hotline. I want to continue you know, we're always saying you want to get to Maddie and David, but I really like Paul McCain. I could listen to Heart- Heartbreak Hotline. That's something that, you know, it's fun to listen to those calls. It's fun to hear the advice that he's giving to callers and things like that. And I really love the different scenes of LA that are showing while he's talking, you know, and giving advice and talking to some callers that yes. he, yeah. he normally does. Yeah. And- yeah. It's a great introduction to Paul. You know, it starts with the building, only his office light is on. KRKD sign on the top of the building and then you're going through the corridors and then you know going through a studio and then you get to him he's telling the story and then at a really good part in the story there's a close-up of him really close you know yeah and you know what I think it was really good casting to get Greg Henry to do this because not only has he got that sweet face that sweet young face but his voice was very gentle and he was really you know, with the people that were ringing, he was really gentle with them and helping them out and, you know, telling them that, you know, go and see that girl, go and talk to her, you know. Yeah. And it was good how they split it up. They split the story up where you see the the homeless woman and you see the kitchen hand making his hamburgers, listening to the radio. And all three of them are listening to really old style radios, which I love. I love seeing. Yeah. In the diner. Yeah. The short order chef. I'd like to talk yeah. a little bit about him. Yeah. His name is Chino Fats Williams. Chino Williams, also known as Fats. Yeah. Just briefly about him. He was born in 33 in Louisiana. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2000 in Los Angeles. A little bit of trivia about him. He played three variations of the same character in the Rocky Balboa franchise. Another guy from Rocky. We had a guy from Rocky a couple episodes ago. Yes. He was a man in the unemployment line in Rocky in 1976. And he was a job searcher in Rocky II in 1979. And in 1982, in Rocky III, he played a derelict He's also well known as being the truck driver in The Terminator in 1984. Oh. Oh. And in 86, he did Hill Street Blues, and he's done this episode of Moonlighting and another one, which you should recognise him. Was he in (laughs) Symphony and Not Flat? No. Was he in? It was a year later. He was in, oh, that's, that's some good trivia. He was in another episode of Moonlighting. Mm. Um, this particular episode, oh. The Next Murder You Hear, he's actually unaccredited, it says here. Okay. But he was in Yours Very Deadly. He was the post office employee when they land on the scale and he says, oh, that's going to cost extra or something. Uh, <laughs> that's great. You won't, yeah, you only see him for a second. So 
He's got a great line. Great line in that episode. Yeah, so. he's got a great line. Yeah, he was in Cagney and Lacey as well. So I just thought I'd put a little bit about the kitchen hand. And um, I like when the caller is speaking to Paul and he's talking about this girl he wants to talk to. And he says yeah. she's like milk. So then you go to the milkman or yeah. putting the milk in the trucks. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Yes. I love how all the scenes are playing out with the story on the radio. And everybody who works those hours, those late night hours, you know, we see a slice of life of LA at that time and people who are working during that time and just doing what they do, whatever, living their lives. They are uh, invested in the story, really into it and probably listen to them every day. Yeah. The other thing is um, the caller talks about a girl at work who makes him nervous. Um, I'm always thinking about how is it relating to Maddie and David, right? Does Maddie make David a little bit nervous or does, um, or vice versa? anything to do with their relationship. Um, I think two of the callers that he talks to during this episode, they're talking to him about someone at work that they like. Yes, because you said, does she have a cubicle? Go to her cubicle and see what, does she have a cat calendar? You've got to see if you've got any mutual interests. Yeah, see what her interests are. And then that's yeah. what you can talk to her about. If she's got yeah. a cat calendar, she's got, yeah, like start talking to her about cats. Which is great advice. Yeah, that is great advice. Yes, definitely. You know, if you want to find out about someone or their interests, you know, look at what they've got around them. And uh, he's taking different callers and yeah, someone pipes in and says, play something by the Shirelles, you know. And he hangs up on them. <laughs> yeah, hangs up on them, right? Because it's a, it's heartbreak hotline. You're, you're not listening to music right now. And then Zelda calls in who's a regular caller, sounds like. Okay, yes. So with Zelda, I'm pretty sure that's Nora Gay. She's actually accredited as being a caller on the show and she was actually in Breathless with Richard Gere. Oh, okay. That's what she's known for. Right. Mm. Yeah, she has a good voice. Oh, um, one thing I was going to say about Paul McCain's look um, when you were talking about it earlier is I think it comes to my mind every time I watch this episode, he looks a little bit like Bruce and he's got that same hairline, but he's blonde, you know? So he's kind of like, like an opposite Bruce in a way. He's mm. got a dimple. He's a handsome guy. He's got that receding hairline, but he, you know, the lighter, I don't know if it's uh, means anything or meant anything in casting or if anyone ever thinks about that. But, you know, since Maddie is a bit interested in him. Yeah. I always think he just looks like a little bit of like an opposite Bruce or something. An opposite of Bruce. Oh, interesting. <laughs> So Zelda's talking to him and she's worried um, that something terrible is going to happen to the man that she loves. And then suddenly we hear gunshots, someone break into the studio and gunshots. And then everything kind of goes dead and silent. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Um, and it's the biggest machine gun I've ever seen. It looks like an automatic. I don't know much about guns. I just yeah. watch movies. So <laughs> I'm not a gun girl. In yeah. Australia, we're not big on, big on guns, even though we do have them, but. Um, this looked like an automatic machine gun, something like Rocky would use. (laughs) Yeah, more gun than you probably needed to kill one little guy in a radio station. Yeah, or he probably just needed a little revolver or something. Boom, you're done. You've done your job. That's it. Exactly. Probably all he needed was a little gun, two shots and run out, you know. At this stage, we don't know that he's faked his death, but let's just assume he's dead. Okay. First of all, I just can't get over there's never any blood. It's a very clean show. And when Sonny is showing David and Maddie around, you know what he said? He goes, oh, there was blood. There was blood. Was. Okay. There was blood uh, through here, through this office, down the stairs, out to the car park. 
He says That's- was. What do you mean was? You cleaned up the blood already. Yeah, right. Why would they do that? <laughs> They wouldn't, but I guess that's the, the show's way of explaining why there's a shooting, but no blood. Um, it's been cleaned up. Yeah, so we go straight from the shooting and everybody, it disrupts everybody's night and everybody's like, wow, what just happened? And, you know, the whole city is talking about it and it's headline news the next day, radio host slain and David sees this as their big opportunity. So David's really excited and Maddie's kind of repelled. She thinks it's, as she says later, sick and morbid, right? As usual, her question is, who's the client? He thinks outside the box, as he normally does. And uh, if we solve this case, it's going to be great for the agency. So it takes a little bit of enticing to get her to agree by using Agnes and the rest of the staff. Very manipulative here. He's got it all set up and planned out. And by the way, I wrote, he's totally right. If you don't have any clients, why not solve a huge mystery that's going on in the city because that's going to make news and then Blue Moon will be mentioned and in all of that. So, I mean, I totally see his logic, you know, but she, yeah, is just really focused on who's the client. And yeah, but anyway, and I love the cross from one office to the other and all of that. Now we're starting to get in like real moonlighting, right? Yes. And I'd like to say a little bit about that. That is a great scene because it goes for over one minute without cutting the scene. Have you noticed that? So they go from David's office to her office and it's all one shot. So can you imagine in the middle of that, you stuffed it up and you have to do it again? I know. (laughs) I know. Right. It just reminds me of an Alfred Hitchcock movie called Rope. And, you know, it was a lot of very long scenes. It was just all one thing. And that's a big thing to achieve for an actor. And uh, for the production, because at that time they had the big, huge cameras on the tracks the cameras moved on tracks, you know, those Panavision cameras, those big cameras. So to have the cameras moving from David's office all the way across to Maddie's office and then her around the desk and yeah, how they did that, you know, so really good filmmaking there. I just love how he's obviously told Agnes to like step in and um, talk it up. But when she first tries to do that, he's like, no, no, no. Like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. He's like orchestrating this whole thing. He's directing this whole thing. He doesn't want Agnes to say something now. He needs to keep like trying to talk Maddie into it first. As usual, he's using examples. Think about Rockefeller. Think about Ford. Think about Edison. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, and I love how he looks at his sleeve of his jacket. Oh, I've got a better idea. Trust me, Maddie, this case could be the key to our future, our empire. Think about Rockefeller. Think about Ford. Think about Edison. You think old Thomas Alva just laid back in his crib waiting for the light bulb to come on? Hell no. He went out there strapped on his, his propeller cap and invented all kinds of things. Would you get out of my way, please? What about Mr. Kleenex? Mr. Who? Sure, Mr. Kleenex. You think he waited around for somebody to say, hey, man, got a tissue? Hell no. He looked at his sleeve and said, I have a better idea. This is it, Maddie. This is our light bulb. This is our tissue. And I love the comedic timing of that too. Oh my gosh. I know it's so fast. Now we're really getting fast here. The dialogue is really getting fast. It started out quick. Now it's getting fast. And Bruce is just great with that lightning fast dialogue. And the scene just has to move. And, you know, even Sybil, how she moves around the desk and hands him, I think a cup and a pen or something like that. Um, Did you notice that? She moves around to the other side of her desk and he's kind of watching her and he's holding the cup and he goes to grab the handle and he misses it the first time. Then he like grabs it again and sets it on the desk. You know, that might. Oh, yeah. So he kind of not that it's a goof, but he's kind of like watching her and like concentrating on the dialogue and he misses the handle of the cup and he like grabs for it twice and puts it on the desk. I always notice that for some reason. It's just such a great scene and it's kind of like classic moonlighting now. 
moving really fast. I love how Maddie looks. I love this outfit on her, the soft look. And the other thing is, you know, when um, she's heading out to her periodontist, right? Him blocking her way. You know, that is such classic moonlighting, you know, him standing in front of her and then taking a step when she does blocking her again and all of that. Yeah, he does that a lot in the office and also at the front door of the office as well. Oh, yeah. We've talked a lot about how he like takes her arm and turns her and things like that. But I think maybe this is, the, if not the first time, one of the first times that we see him physically stand in front of her. And then when she steps, he steps in that that whole dance they do. Right. I really like how he's persistent. He's persistent. He has a vision and he wants that vision to become a reality. And he's really, really trying to use all these different examples to convince her to come his way. You know, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. To get her to see things the way that he sees them, because he's so sure, you know, when he's sure, he's sure, you know, and he really sees this vision of how they can get the word out about their agency. Mm. And he just wants her to see that. So while he is manipulating her a little bit with the employees, she kind of needs some coaxing because Maddie can be a little stubborn and and all that. And then when they walk out into the office and all of the workers gather around them and like, can you believe it? You know, it's on the tip of everyone's (laughs) tongue, basically. And uh, DePesto chimes in and all of that. Um, The smirk that comes onto David's face. He knows he's got, once she hears the employees talking about this and everything, like she's going to come around, you know? So yeah, the smirk that comes on his face is pretty funny. Yeah. His expressions are so distinctive. As I've said before, he doesn't even have to say anything in a scene. You know exactly what he's thinking. So yeah, exactly. You know, she says, oh, I see you coming, but I don't run, which she says in other episodes as well. Basically, why do I let you talk me into these things? Why do I let you do this to me? see you coming but i don't run i hear your voice but i don't cover my ears why the truth it's not your fault you can't help yourself no one can me i'm like a uh... traffic accident and then she says cancel dr fishbine already did already did already did (laughs) (laughs) and it's the first of three times that he says or what in this scene he says is she great or what Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. He does it three times in this episode, but we'll get to that. And I have a little mid conversation trivia question for you, Grace. Uh, She says, cancel Dr. Fishbine. Mm -hmm. Do you know what other episode of Moonlighting they mentioned Dr. Fishbine? I'll get out. (laughs) Yes. They mentioned Dr. Fishbine again. They do. Yes. I haven't noticed. Is Dr. Fishbine still a dentist? Yes. Actually, yes. And I'll tell you why we know that. So in My Fair David, when he's limboing with the staff and Maddie comes in and interrupts them and slams the door, uh, David says to her, you know, she won't speak to him. And he says, cat got your tongue. Did Dr. Fishbein aim a little high with a Novocaine? Oh, oh my God. I didn't even notice that. I'm too busy watching her being so angry at the limboing. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that funny? So I wonder who Dr. Fishbein is. Is that a real person or is that just a name that Glenn thinks is funny or, you know, just uh, something to repeat for like continuity or what? Interesting. I was actually watching it yesterday again, just yeah. to watch it relaxed without having to pause it and stop it and rewind and everything. But, and re- but I watched yeah. it with the subtitles uh-huh. and boy, yeah. are they way out. It actually said Dr. Fishbine with a V, oh. not Fishbein. I'm sure it's Fishbein, isn't it? 
I think it's fish buying. Yeah. Yeah. For the bee. Yeah. But um, that, that's funny. So they haven't gotten that all correct. Mm. And then uh, when David's closing the door, he winks at everyone. So yeah, he knows, he knows he's talked <laughs> her into a hit, you know? <laughs> yeah. He knows he's turned her around. Then we get to the crime scene. Hmm. So we see the police taking fingerprints and they're tagging items. I don't see any blood. And yeah. uh, Sonny is playing them the big tape recorder, which I love because I actually have one of those. Yeah, it was my father's one. So, yeah, it's, it was really interesting to see that, how they're playing the tape on that huge tape recorder. Real to real. He was playing them the last moments of Paul's so-called death. And um, Maddie is feeling quite ill. Yeah. David is elated and, and Maddie is disgusted. Um, and, of course, David being David makes light of the situation. Should have played the Shirelles. Sorry. I know. <laughs> Maddie kind of roll her eyes at him. And Now, Grace, have you noticed one big goof in this scene? Yes, I did. I nearly died when I saw it because I have never noticed it before. What did you notice? I noticed she's walking through the studio in her runners. It's so clear. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious that she's just wearing her sneakers. And you might say runners, I say sneakers or tennis shoes. Yeah. Just wearing tennis shoes. Um, Yeah. I I wonder how that happened because I think they were usually pretty careful about her putting on her high heel shoes for full length shots. Yeah. So when they're going across the room through the glass where the tape recorder is, you can yeah. just see the top of the laces. But when she comes around the wall towards Sonny's office, oh, my God, it's so clear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's literally just standing in her tennis shoes, you know. But I have watched this so often now that when you're watching a scene, I can tell by the way she's walking if she's in her runners or if she's in her shoes. Really? I've never she really. She walks differently. Well, and she said that on other productions, people told her that she should wear her high heels because she'll walk differently. But she said that she did 60 plus episodes of Moonlighting and nobody ever noticed when she wasn't wearing her heels. So Sybil Grace noticed. So when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So can I just quickly go back to the Shirelles? Yeah. You know who the Shirelles were? They were a, um, a like a girl band, what, in the 60s? 50s. 50s. Okay. Mm. They were actually a, I looked them up, I think they were school friends and there were about five of them and they formed a group called the Shirelles in 1957 and they were famous for two songs, Tonight's the Night 
and Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which you, oh, yeah. everybody would know those songs. So, yeah, yeah, the Shirelles, I've definitely heard of uh, that band. So, um... and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. And They were named by Rolling Stone as one of the 100 greatest artists of all time in 2004. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, I think they were a pretty popular girl band at that time, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, Glenn and Bruce and, you know, I think they're really fans of music, old school music. So, yeah, makes sense that they like throw in references um, whenever they can. Yeah, absolutely. Or not even just references, play the songs. Play the songs. I think at a certain stage they were throwing money at Moonlighting. They were so popular that, oh, yeah, whatever you want, you can have. Yeah, so I've noticed that the Blue Moon workers are, are not the regular workers that we see later on. No, yeah, that's true. They, they do change, I, I believe, um, from episode to episode at this point. Yes. There's only one, the tall guy, that one of the office workers, is actually in Next Stop Murder, but the others mm. I don't think... Um, yeah, I don't think we see the off the office workers in Next Stop Murder, do we? Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, at the start when Agnes gets the letter. Yeah, yeah, in the beginning. So yeah, all right, we'll take- I'm going ahead of myself. Shut up, Grace. That's all right. It's all part of the series, so not a problem. There's a few times here, you know, uh, Maddie says David, David, David. All this. Yeah, she says David, David, David. All this blood and violence, and he goes, Yeah, I get giddy thinking about it. <laughs> what? I know, I know. So he's just loving, I guess, as a detective, you know, I mean, this is their bread and butter, you know. Um, yeah. So he's loving the case. She's she's sickened by um, even, you know, she's already sickened by it. Right. And she hasn't even heard the worst part of all the, the whole story yet. But uh, yeah. So then they move into Sonny's office. And when they open the door to walk into Sonny's office, she's got her shoes on. Mm. And I noticed before they get into Sonny's office, they walk away from the tape recorder and the camera is on the other side of the glass, like they're on the other side of the glass. And you can see the reflection of the well, uh, thing moving. Yeah, I'm assuming it's oh. obviously the camera. Yeah, it's very, very that. faint, but you can see definitely though there's a reflection there. Okay, that's a good catch. I will um, check for that. So, yeah, a few a few little goofs. They don't make too many goofs um, in the series, but once in a while we see things like that. Sybil's shoes here are definitely like a big thing, a real big, like out of character thing, you know? And the other thing I noticed too, a lot of times you can tell because she's a little bit shorter. Yeah. Than Bruce. So he was six foot, six foot one, maybe. I think she's five foot 10. So when she wears the runners, she's definitely much shorter than him. Right. Yeah. I think it's noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice when she's just a little bit shorter than him. I do like their heights together. But yeah, again, I just love her look here. I love her outfit, her hair. It's really just a cute Maddie outfit. Yes. I think. Oh, and the um, the radio guy knows her because he says, so how does the Blue Moon Girl get, uh, you know, mixed up in this? Well, I suppose if you get to be a station manager, you would know a lot of, celeb- even if you don't know them personally, you would know of them. You know, he probably dealt with the ads for Blue Moon Shampoo. Yeah. You don't know. Right. So he may have never met her, but he knows of her. That makes sense that he would know of her. There's a lot of that in the earlier episodes of people recognizing Maddie. I think that kind of goes away a little bit later, but so they're in Sunny's office and I love this whole <laughs> banter. Love it. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, you, you'd have to watch it and I do. Um, and I'm sure you have too. 
you know, a few times to catch all the looks, you know, the side eyes between Bruce and Sybil and the, he wants to know who we're working for. Who are you guys working for? Working for? Working for. Working for. He wants to know who we're working for. What for? What for you want to know who we're working for? Why not? Why not? Why not what? Why not what for you want to know who we're working for? What? What? Talk to him. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so funny. And Bruce is like, what? And she goes, talk to him. <laughs> talk to him. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's so funny. It's like, why does she have to be the middleman? You know, she's like leaning over to Bruce and then talking to Sonny and then leaning over to David and talking to Sonny. You know, so yes, really well done. Really cute banter. The timing, the comedic timing is perfect. And it's another example of Maddie asking David, what do we do now? Yeah. Well, she does yeah. a lot in this episode. Yeah. Great scene. Yes. Um fans out there i'm sure you you guys have watched over and over again too but yeah just you have to if you're newer to moonlighting watch it a few times to see that great back and forth banter and looks the side eye you know when when he says did you guys listen and david said yes and maddie says no and when they both have an opposite answer they look at each other with like annoyed side eyes (laughs) so obviously he's been listening but she hasn't so uh yeah Maddie didn't listen. The conversation continues and they figure out why um, Paul McCain worked nights. Yeah. So they're quizzing Sonny, you know, about who he thinks may have killed Paul. And he said, well, he didn't have a enemy in the world as far as he knew and says he was a night guy. Yeah. And he was trying to tell him to go to day shifts, but he didn't want to. And then they explained to Maddie why he didn't want to. And that's when I think things turned a little bit that she wasn't happy that he was seeing a lady during the day or ladies plural exactly they kind of spell it all out for her because she's i guess a little bit naive about why he'd want to work nights then maddie really gets pissed off about his moral character i guess is that is maddie like that moral (laughs) why does she get so mad it's just not it's not what she believes in i guess she doesn't accept infidelity so it really bothers her yeah definitely um one of her traits in a lot of episodes If it's morally wrong, she won't have any of it. Yes. They each have their own like moral standards. You know, David does has his and Maddie has hers. Of course, David at the end of the scene says everyone needs a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which probably really pisses her off. Right. Him being very like flippant about it pisses her off. Yeah. So one thing I noticed is when Sonny gets up to go and get the publicity shot of Paul McCain, goes to hand it to Maddie and then there's a shot of somebody holding the photo and it's clearly not Maddie's hand okay? because this person who's holding the photo has French tips on their nails. Ah, right, right. Yeah, that's a good catch. So not something they wanted to bother Sybil with. So, yeah, just get another woman to hold the paper. Lots of little goofs in this episode of Moonlighting. As they're coming around the corner and David, or Bruce, is saying... Now that is what I call a case. Sex, violence, hit tunes. You know, everything this case has at all. Now Sybil is laughing out of character. Did yes. You notice? I yeah. did want to say that because I'm looking and I'm <laughs> thinking she should be upset. But she was actually smiling until they got in the car. And that's when she changed her tune and said that he was a disgusting human being. She was laughing at Bruce, I think. You know, I think that's an out-of-character moment where sometimes we do catch her, like, laughing at Bruce. I mean, who knows? Before the scene starts, maybe they're laughing about something else and she just can't kind of hold it in. Who knows? Yeah, because he says, Mel Gibson will play my life. 
<laughs> Mel Gibson. Is, and again, guess what he says? He says, is this a wild country or what? Is this a wild country or what? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but the way he says it's so yeah. good. So good. Yeah. And he says, uh, Barbara Walters <laughs> will, you know, interview me or something. And the funny thing is they talk to all those people later and eventually about, uh, you know, there's a, a pretty good interview with uh, Bruce and Sybil with David Hartman and stuff like that. So yeah, just the popular kind of morning shows um, or, you know, Barbara Walters, famous interviewer. It's funny that he mentions uh, David Hartman because uh, Bruce and Sybil are interviewed um, by David Hartman during every daughter's father is a virgin, actually. I think he was on Good Morning America at the time. And it's a pretty good interview with the two of them where they're very kind of flirty. And uh, Sybil has her arm on Bruce's arm and all this stuff. Have you seen it? Have you seen that interview? You've got to see that. There's all there's very good tidbits in that interview. Okay. Yeah, I'll send it to you. And um, he says, women will send me letters and make lewd suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) David. (laughs) And of course, Maddie says, we're not taking this case. And he goes, get out of town. And I'm like, hang on, (laughs) that's my saying. You can't Uh, say that. Maybe Did you you pick it up from David? Is that where you heard it? No, I didn't even notice that he'd said this before. Never noticed it. Get out of town. Yes, more really good banter in the car. We're not taking this case. That's a classic. You know, just everything Maddie says, like, she's mad. He says more of the, like, you're strange, you know, more of that. Yeah. And, you, you know, we get uh, with this car banter. Fine, fine. Good, good. Um, yeah, this, this is a really good car scene. I like this yeah. car scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the best. David persisting, her holding her ground. Boink. <laughs> <laughs> And I've noticed the the car windows are blurred. So they've either blurred the windows or they've blurred the outside scenery. Okay. Because obviously they want our attention on them, not on outside buildings. Yeah, so this is where he discusses boinking and, you know, where she's repressed or obsessed or one of those S words. No, 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 no. You're repressed or obsessed or one of those S words. Yeah, she's S, one of those S words. And the whole, like, that he makes her stiff and tense you know, because he's the only person in her life and all of that. Yeah. They start talking about their relationship a little bit. Yeah. Now in other yeah. scenes, like with uh, Holt in, in the last episode, she's flirty and she's loose, you know, and she is kind of stiff and tense with David. She's hitting and kicking him all the time. He makes her upset. And yeah, it's just kind of interesting, but she kind of agrees like that. He does make her stiff and tense. So yeah, I think that's all some like really interesting. Yeah, they definitely start kind of talking about their relationship or their feelings for each other a little bit in this episode or not their feelings for each other, but like insinuating that you might have feelings. She doesn't like it that he's made the observation that she doesn't have a lot of people in her life. She gets a bit defensive. Yes, she has plenty of people in her life. And um, he says, can you really tell me or something like that? That you're not in bed alone by 9.30 every night. <laughs> yes. He didn't like that. Um, although we find out pretty quickly that, damn it, he's right. So we're back at Maddie's apartment and she's having some soup in her lounge room. So, yeah, this scene is a little bit different because we don't always see Maddie at home alone, seeing what she does. It's usually them two coming home or... Her answering the door or something. So, yeah, to see her just walking through the house alone, ready for bed. Now, I'd like to talk about this. I've been dying to talk about this particular item that's in the room. Okay. It was in last week's episode, but I forgot to mention it. She has a piano at the back of the room near the window. Yeah. (laughs) 
there is a doll that is sitting on the piano. That doll scares the absolute crap out of me every time I see it. (laughs) All through the series, it's there sitting looking at me, (laughs) right? It's really strange. I don't know what it is about that doll, but it absolutely scares the bejesus out of me, and I don't know why. I don't know what the meaning of it is. I don't know what type of doll it is. If anybody knows... Yeah, it'd be like nice to know, but it's something I always notice when they're in the what you call living room. So, yes, I just thought yes. I'd mention that. No, I've noticed that doll before too. It is a very creepy looking doll. It's like purple clothes, and the dress drapes over the front of the piano. I yeah. vaguely kind of remember seeing, you know, decorations like that in people's houses. Like back in that day, it may have been like some kind of home decor uh, fad. I agree, it is scary and why would Maddie have that yeah the set decorator obviously thought oh yeah that's cute I'll put that on the piano yeah I guess so and uh, Maddie has fish in this episode yes and that's the other thing where on earth is this aquarium because it's not in that room right and when she's feeding the fish she's against window or a doorway an outside door I don't think we ever see this fish tank again in subsequent episodes yeah, no, I don't think we ever see a fish tank again. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a, yeah. I think it was just like to add to the montage of her kind of being bored at home, like eating her soup, feeding her fish, putting one dish in the dishwasher. Yes. And they played, I'm sure you wrote down the song. Um, no, I didn't actually, no. Oh, okay. They played I'm Crying by Linda Ronstadt. Oh, that's Ooh. right. Yes. I shazammed yeah. it and I thought, oh, is that Linda Ronstadt? And but then I didn't write it down. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a great song. I don't know how it really correlates to Maddie, because it's about like someone who's done someone wrong and now they're alone. Maybe them having a little tiff and she just feels alone. I don't know. Maybe they just like the song. Maybe, Maybe they just like of- the song and it's slow and she's home alone. And and the other thing I noticed too, her decor in her living room is green, light green. And the interior of the dishwasher is also green. Oh, yeah. I have never seen an interior of a dishwasher being green. No. Yeah. (laughs) I love how the set decorator or whoever decides to to do all this stuff is very colour coordinated. I'll give them that. Yeah, they were uh, anal about uh, colour coordination. Uh, Also, Maddie has white couches. But I have noticed that those white couches change over time. These have very thin cushions on them. Later, the cushions are much thicker on the couch. Mm. You know, when we get our okay. prop guy, possible prop guy to come on, maybe he can uh, tell us more about those things. So, yeah. And then Maddie is in bed alone and the clock ticks to 930. And she's funny. She's like, I hate you, David Addison. And she looks at the camera again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She knows he's right. This is uh, what these characters do to each other. They are so good about pointing out each other's idiosyncrasies or just things about them that, you know, pushing them out of their comfort zones a little bit. Like, wow, wait, I am always in bed by 9.30. Why am I in bed? I think they know (laughs) each other so well now that, yeah, they know all those little bits and pieces. So starting to get to know each other and, uh, yeah, they know how to push the buttons. And the other thing I noticed too is back in her bed, when she turns to look at the clock when it's 9.30, yeah. she's not yeah. looking at the clock again, like last week. <laughs> okay. She's looking askew, you know, she's looking sort of sideways, but not 
full sideways mm-hmm. where the clock is because otherwise yeah. you'd see the whole side of her face. So why they do yeah. that, I don't know. But anyway. Probably just about angles, mm. I would guess. Or maybe they're just not thinking like, where is the clock? Where should she be looking? Because it's probably not there in the room with her. You know what I mean? They're, they probably just have the bed, the cameras. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, they move. I know they move things around to film things. Yeah. So they. it's just very clear to me that she didn't actually turn to look at the clock. So, Oh, uh, just one thing. Rewind one moment. When they were in the car and they got in their fight and she pushed him out of a moving car, by the way, speaking oh of God. Maddie being kind of violent to David. How the heck did she do that? <laughs> That's another question. <laughs> yeah, she a stunt driver. Well, you know, with her, with her like anger, she just like whipped the car around that corner. Uh, yeah. How did she do that? Would she like lean over, open the door and like shove yeah. him out? Her arms would have had to be double the size they are <laughs> to be able to push him out. Um, yeah. It's a great stunt. You can't tell it's not him. And when you see her driving off, I think clearly it's not her. I mean, you know it's not her anyway, but the hair is different. Yeah, that's the only thing I could notice, but a great stunt. Yes, I can notice it's not him when he's on the ground and then, you know, the angle changes or something and then Bruce lifts his head up. I think I can tell it's not it's the stunt guy when he spins on the ground. And then uh, also the funny thing is if you look in the background when Bruce stands up and says, was it something I said? There are people in the background that are just watching onlookers that aren't aren't part of the scene, you know, yeah. just L.A. Yeah, I um, noticed that there's a lady, an old lady behind him, and she's just like, what What the hell's yeah. going on here? <laughs> yeah, and there's a man, too. There's like an older man. Yeah, probably just walking down the street. And and it looked like I was trying to see what, what part of town. It looked like Chinese writing um, in the background. Now, there's a, a huge Korea town in Los Angeles, but I'm pretty sure because I live in China can recognize and I used to live in Korea so um tell the difference between the writing and I'm pretty sure that's Chinese writing so yeah they must be in like part of the Chinatown area I guess Hmm. in Los Angeles where they where she kicked him out of the car but anyway yeah so Maddie hops out of bed at 9 30 and decides she's not going to be the person David thinks she is and she's going to leave and get out and yeah where's she going though like just take a drive yeah so I think she wants to defy him and not let him be right by what he said about her yes. being in bed at 9.30. So she's thinking, right, that's it. I'm getting dressed. I'm going out. She's just thinking, well, I suppose it's another opportunity for her to listen to Paul on the cassette in the car. And that's well, when she starts getting a bit teary about, oh, is it just me or is it whatever he says? This is when she starts listening to him and like starts to take a turn about her feelings for him because at first she thought that he was just like. And the more she yeah. listens to him, the more she thinks he's got a wonderful way about him and he's as she describes later to david this man this man is a man of extraordinary depth and understanding yes now you know what this scene reminded me of so maddie's driving around and she's feeling a bit lonely and she's looking out and she's seeing all these couples coming out of movie theaters kissing on the street walking hand in hand and paul mccain is talking about lonely hearts right and you know what it was reminding me of grace Blonde on blonde when she is out driving around and goes to the grocery store and she's seeing people having other things that she wants. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it just reminded me of that scene, you know, where Maddie is feeling something, feeling a bit alone as well. It's bringing out some feelings, some emotions out of her that listening to people that are ringing about their feelings and it's resonating with her. When she was in bed drinking the wine. Yeah. What? 
that looked like raspberry cordial or something. It looked like a cherry wine or something. Cranberry juice, probably. It looked very the light. Juice. Exactly. No. Paul McCain, uh, when Maddie's driving in the car, I'm not sure if it's the next morning and we can talk more about her sitting in bed drinking wine. Um, there's a line that Paul McCain says, you know, is anyone else out there feeling like they want to go to a foreign country and hide under a bed? Yes. Yeah. You notice that line? Yes, I did. Because that comes up later as well. Yes, that does come up. There's a few recurring themes in this episode. And in one of the commentary episodes, Glenn said in A Trip to the Moon, Maddie says um, she wants to go to a foreign country and hide under a bed. So that line comes up again. And uh, Glenn in the commentary said that it was probably his own anxiety at that time. That's how he was feeling at that time because there was unrest going on. So now I'm wondering, is this also some of Glenn's anxiety that the show being picked up is a lot of pressure as well? Uh, is this how he's feeling at this time as well, you know, which is pretty early on. Kind of interesting. The other thing I noticed too, before we go any further, when they shoot her in the car from the side, there's two things I noticed is that that shot is in a future episode as well, a womb with a view. But I just noticed how tall she is. Her legs take up the whole front of the car. Yeah, like yeah. She's right does up have... against the dash. Like, you know how far forward I have to pull my seat to drive my car? <laughs> You're not as tall as Sybil, huh? No, no, I'm only five foot. That's all. Little old me. The way she drives, like she's she's got the seat back and her legs are, you know, she looks very like she's in a lounge chair. And I noticed right. that in A Womb with a View as well, how, of course, she's pregnant, so she's got to be further back from the wheel. But that's the only time I think we see her filmed from the side in the car. You know, and it's the right. wrong side yeah. too. It's the wrong side. Yeah, that's true. The right that's hand side, true. not the left hand side. So anyway. yeah, that's not where she liked to be filmed from. And I did notice as well that it was not poor man's process where like a win with a view, it was where they put it on a, a fake backdrop or whatever on set. That's called the poor man's process when they do it on set. This time they really were driving around somewhere. You could see outside the window, they had the car on a tow cart. Yeah. Sybil working at night, you know, on location. And I think I was trying to see where she was driving. I think maybe Pasadena or it looked like a smaller town out, right outside of Los Angeles anyway. Now, what was she doing in the bed? I, I guess when they pan across her wall and they pan on her clothes on the floor, maybe they want us to think that she's gone out and she's found someone to sleep with and brought him back home. Oh, I didn't think of that. Well, because like clothes are strewn across the floor kind of thing you know, and then they pan up to her in the bed and she is sitting there like naked and drinking a a glass of wine. And, but she's in bed with Paul McCain in a way, because she's still listening to him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of showing that she's like starting to develop, you know, some kind of relationship with him, even though he's a dead man. Yeah. She's got some strange emotions coming out now and she's feeling very attracted and attached to him somehow. And she loves just listening to him, yeah. loves listening to his voice. And, yeah, she's definitely falling for him, that's for sure. I never gave it a thought that when you first watch it back in 1985, you possibly think she's met somebody. Mm. Because we've got the benefit of hindsight now, you know that she's not with anybody. But I guess back in 1985, you think, oh, my God, she's found somebody and she's in bed with them, you know. Yeah, and the other thing was, too, I had to rewind it because I'm thinking, where is his voice coming from? Because she doesn't have a 
recording device near the bed, but it's at the start of the scene. She's got a radio cassette near the wall where all her photos are of herself. When the scene begins, it starts with the radio cassette player and then it pans down to, you know, her photos and then down to the ground where her clothes are. Because I thought that might have been a goof, but it wasn't. Yeah, Yeah. so she's just put the cassette on, listening to his voice and just having a wine and, yeah, having a good time without actually having a good time. She's feeling her some Paul McCain. Yes. <laughs> and on her way to work and at work and yes. he's making her teary eyed. And then it's kind of funny. She like picks up the phone to call when he gives the number and she's looking at his picture. Yeah, they're really playing it up that she's like really falling for this guy, you know. But I like the transition between the scenes. So she's listening to him at home and in the car and then it transitions to her listening to him in the office on the stereo. And she's got his picture in her hand. She goes across to her desk and picks up the phone. Now, who was she going to ring? Well, I think he was saying um, heartbreak hotline, like 555 heart or something. Let's take some callers. And she like picked up the phone. It's like, she's so entranced. Like, like, maybe I can be a caller. Oh no, he's dead. Yeah. It's like, she was going to call him. And David interrupts that. Yes, he kind of snaps her out of her trance. Yes, so that's what it was. She was in a trance thinking that she could just ring him. Yes, and then we have some really great overlapping dialogue. Yes, they both changed their mind. Yes, he's come to swap apologies and you have to watch and listen a couple times to hear what he says and what she says. And they're both kind of saying the opposite thing. He's saying like, all right, if you feel that strongly about not taking this great case. And she's saying that man on the radio isn't what I thought he was yesterday, blah, blah, blah. And changed her mind, you know? And then he's like, oh, she's had a change of heart. But of course he has to kind of pretend like he is letting her decide. Oh, yeah. And it's a great close-up of Bruce when he's saying, Anyway, if you're still interested in this particular case. Me? Interested? Well, all right. You win this time. Now, when they're leaving the office, what's the deal with when he says, oh, and this luxuriously thick head of hair? Yeah, nothing on my mind but you. You and this luxuriously thick head of hair, that is. I think that's just a joke about him losing his hair. He doesn't have a thick head of hair. So I think, you know, there's probably always a a joke on set about how he's slowly going bald or receding. I'm just wondering whether that was in the script and and whether he's just added a little bit extra in. Yeah. Because while I'm watching it, I'm thinking that has actually nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I think could have been just like Bruce being Bruce. Yeah. Now, Grace, this location, I have been to this location. I have walked up to the door. I have thoroughly inspected this apartment and the surroundings. (laughs) Get Um, out of town. Uh, (laughs) get out of town. I have. Yes. Um, it was very close to where I lived in Los Angeles, right off Highland, off of Highland and, um, like Willoughby or something somewhere in that neighborhood in Highland park, um, that we've talked about before where they filmed a lot of moonlighting. And the funny thing is it's just like it was in this scene, even when they're sitting in the car and you can see the stairs behind him with that tiling that's still there. Wow. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So this is, uh, I really like watching this scene because I've um, walked up those steps and stood right there where they did Mr. Stickpin and all that stuff. And yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Like a lot of the buildings that they use for moonlighting, even though it's years later, they look exactly the same, you know, not much changes in Los Angeles, you know. If you were um, filming in Shanghai, everything would be different because they throw buildings up and knock buildings down like every other week. But um, Los Angeles stays pretty much the same. So I'll talk about another location in, in another episode that looks exactly the same, which is so funny. But yeah, anyway, this one really looks the same. Like I said, you can see that tiling on the steps behind Bruce in the car and everything. So it's really funny. It hasn't changed. That's amazing. Stood the test of time. Yes, Absolutely. So Maddie's looking at the house and she's mesmerized and she's in her trance again. David's realized earth calling Maddie, earth calling Maddie, you know, so yeah. he's, he's yes. starting to work out. Oh my God, she's yeah. really falling for this guy. And yes. she's just mesmerized by the house thinking, wow, this is where he lived. Yes. David being David, making light of the situation as they get out of the car. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is where Paul McCain, late of the Heartbreak Hotline, currently residing 20,000 leagues under the sea, hung his hat and defiled his dames. Yeah, defiled his dames. Yeah, exactly, which Maddie doesn't like to hear that. (laughs) No, that's right. And that's another reference to a movie, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which starred Kirk Douglas, James Mason and Peter Lorre. And the reason I think Glenn's put this reference in is because when they first go to Sonny's office, he says that a car went down the Pacific Highway and went over into the water. Oh. And that's how he faked oh, his death. Oh, right. And he's probably, he knows Maddie's kind of starting to, um, he's getting really into this guy. So maybe he's trying to remind her what pissed her off yesterday. He's obviously trying to put her off Paul McCain saying that he was a womanizer. Yeah, absolutely. Then we get to Mr. Stickpin. I know. Yeah, this is a a really funny part. Now, he says this dialogue so fast that I had to put the subtitles on, but even the subtitles don't keep up with his words. Oh, really? Yeah. He says, you can stick with it, you can prick with it, you can leave it on your teacher's chair, which is not in the subtitle. You can play a dirty trick with it. It's guaranteed Mm -hmm. to not rust, break or bend and will cut a cow in half. Second job for Mr. Stickpin. Mr. Stickpin. Yes, friends, it's the amazing Ron Coe's Mr. Stickpin. You can stick with it, you can prick with it, you can leave it on your teacher's chair and play a dirty trick with it. It's guaranteed not to rust, bust, break, bend and will cut a cow in half. (laughs) And will cut a cow in half, yeah. What? What the hell are you talking about? I know, I know. And then he does the hokey pokey and she does her little sigh as if, oh, God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know, yes, he's kind of entertaining her, but she's also, you know, always kind of acting like he's a bit annoying. Why would she have a loose stick pin in her belt that would just easily come out? (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's true. Why? And I think Sybil laughs a little bit out of character when he pulls that out of her belt as well. Yeah. Why does she have the stick pin? I don't know. We just needed it, right? For the scene. That's right. Exactly. And that's our excuse. And we're going to stick to it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Next Murder You Hear, part one. Stay tuned next week for part two. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.